Well, good morning. Everybody's doing well this morning. Chilly morning, but I miss when my parents are gone that I don't have a garage anymore. <laughs> I guess I could go stay over there, but anyway. We've got two weeks left in our Ephesians series, so if you're visiting with us, we've been going through the book of Ephesians uh, verse by verse, and we're going to be finished up next week. Uh, we will have done 12 weeks in total. Last week, we looked at how followers of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we have moved from being darkness, because that's what Paul says. He says, you were once darkness, and instead, we are now in the light. We are now light in the Lord. So we should be walking as children of light. We saw what that can look like, that we're supposed to expose sins for what they are, that they are fruitless deeds of darkness, and we live with wisdom, redeeming our time, not foolishly wasting it. And we're to be filled with the Spirit of God, and that's going to lead us to do some things as Christians. I'm going to read that passage that we closed out with last week. It kind of talked about this. Ephesians 5, verse 18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. One more part to this, though, in verse 21. It's a verse that's kind of a hinge between all the stuff that came before and then the next part of Paul's letter that we're going to look at today. Verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a verse that we've got to keep kind of at the forefront of what we're going to talk about, forefront of our thoughts today. Move this out of my way, otherwise I'm going to trip on it. And you guys would think that would be hilarious. <laughs> anyway, this is our anchor verse, really, verse 21. And uh, it, it needs to be that anchor verse to kind of keep us where we need to be. Uh, today we're going to be looking at how to cultivate healthy relationships in Christ. And the biggest relationships that we're going to look at are family. Wives and husbands, children and parents. Comedian George Burns was quoted one time as saying, happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. <laughs> now, I think that might be taking a little bit too cynical of a look at it, but I thought it was funny. So we're going to talk about family, and we're going to start with the marriage, the relationship between a husband and wife. Paul starts verse 22, and he's referring to wives here, where he says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. First thing we need to do is kind of define what this word submit means. Because I know that some of you ladies, when you hear this verse, you're like... <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Let's look at what it means. Dictionary definition is to accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or, or will of another person, which I know really gets you all fired up, right? <laughs> but what about biblically, though? Well, this word is used 38 times in Scripture, and it gets translated in the NIV 15 times as submit. And uh, ten times as subject, like be subject to or be subjected to, etc. Other times it's translated as put under, submission, obedient, and things like that. But the lexicon, the Greek-English dictionary that I use, has two meanings. The main one is to cause to be in a submissive relationship, translating as to subject, to, to subject, or to subordinate. 
But it's important to understand that there's really two, two ways that you can go with this in the grammar. There's, and I know you guys are really excited that you're hearing grammar this morning, right? Um, but there's an active way, like you are submitting someone. Or there is a passive way where you are subjecting or submitting yourself. And, and that's really what we're looking at here, because it's, it's a choice. You're not being submitted, wives, but you are choosing to submit yourself to your own husband. You are choosing to be under his leadership. And Paul gives the reason for this. He says it's because the husband is the head of the wife like Christ is the head of the church. Using a simile here, Paul says that wives should submit to their husbands like the church submits to Christ like they themselves submit to Christ. So what does that mean for wives? Well, here's how Klein Snodgrass in his uh, commentary puts it. He says, all it, tasks is, or all, that, all it asks is wives give up their self-centeredness, take seriously their mutuality with their husbands, and promote the benefit of their husbands. It underscores that no part of life may be excluded from the marriage relationship. Now, does this mean that husbands can now rule with an iron fist because they are the head of the household and that they can make the wife do whatever they want? And I hope that because I asked that question, you're like, no, that would be silly. (laughs) Of course not. Because husbands have an incredibly important thing that they need to do as well. And that's what Paul writes about next. Also, we cannot forget our anchor verse, verse 21, right? We submit to one another out of our reverence for Christ. So let's talk about the husband's role, and then we'll kind of bring everything together. So Paul continues in verse 25. He says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, to make her holy, cleansing her and washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So husbands, love your wives. That's the command here, right? Love your wives. But of course, Paul tells his readers how husbands are supposed to love their wives. They're supposed to to love their wives just like Christ loved the church, his bride. And then we see how much Jesus loved his church, how much he loved us, his followers. It was sacrificial love. Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. Jesus died in order to save us, to rescue us from God's wrath. That was God's plan. We were separated from him by sin, and we needed a perfect sacrifice that we couldn't provide on our own. And so Christ was that sacrifice, and when he talks about love, here's how he references it. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Sacrificial love. Jesus later gave them a new command in John 13, 34, his his followers. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Followers of Jesus are to love one another just like Jesus loved us. 
And therefore, people are going to recognize that. They're going to see that we love each other sacrificially. And then Jesus repeats that command in John 15, 12. And then in verse 13, he says what truly is the greatest love. He says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Sacrificial love. So guys, that's the kind of love that you're to have as husbands for your wives. Love them like Christ loved the church. Gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says that love is not self-seeking. You know, think about Jacob in the book of Genesis. He loved Rachel so much that he worked for 14 years to win her. Sacrificial love. Warren Wearsby writes that Christ gave himself for the church, so the husband, in love, gives himself for his wife. And similarly, husbands should love their wives like they do their own body, like you feed, you take care of your own body, like Christ does for the church. And why is the body brought up? Well, it's because at one time, you know, husbands and wives were separate, but now they are one body, right? Two have become one. Paul quotes Genesis 2.24 here, that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Paul concludes this section in verse 33 in Ephesians 5, where he says, However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So again, we go back to verse 21, just kind of remind ourselves. We are submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're doing these things because Christ is the one who is our Lord. Right? And that word Lord, that really does mean something. If we're going to say that Christ is the Lord of our lives, that means he is the Lord over our marriages as well. So the Lord of the marriage is not the husband, but Jesus. And hopefully you can see in a Christian marriage, when you're submitting to the Lord, you're going to be living in mutual submission to each other. Husbands loving your wives, wives submitting to your husbands. But each of these are done in Christ. You're a team, you're working together, you're in unity as one flesh. Now, it's not that you lose your individuality with that, of course, but you were two and now you are one. You were serving one another, edifying one another, loving one another as Christ loves, sacrificing for one another. And guys, I hope you see the responsibility of this for you as husband because it really is a lot. It's a great responsibility that Paul's writing about here because loving your wife is so much more than what we typically think about love. You know, we think of it as the emotion, right? Oh, I love you. I've fallen head over heels for you. But it's so much deeper than that, right? Because that's all temporary. Emotions change. We've all had the fleeting emotions that change over time. But what Paul's talking about is a commitment. It's a sacrifice. It's a choice. You know, I choose to love you. And I'm going to show you. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Both done out of reverence for Christ. And that ends chapter 5 of the letter, but now we're going to move on to chapter 6, and it's a, still part of the same thought. But Paul's going to move past the marriage relationship, and he's going to look at the relationship between children and parents. Ephesians 6, verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So Paul shifts to talking to the children who would have been there in the worship services, listening to the letter being read. 
Worship services were a family thing. It's a lot like what we do on the fifth Sunday where we have everybody here in, in worship. And, and this was his instruction to them. Children, obey your parents. And I, if I ask when you were a kid, if Paul were writing this verse to you, uh, would you, what would you have said when you heard this? Would you have been like, oh, yes, absolutely, I will obey my parents? Or was there no way that you would do that? Or maybe sometimes you would do that. Maybe you were a little bit of a rebel. I don't know. Didn't want to follow what your parents wanted to do. You know, I've talked about this before, but my brother and I, when we were growing up, I was the good one. <laughs> you can ask my parents that, and they would agree. <laughs> It doesn't mean that I was perfect, though. You know, my brother and I, we would kind of test the limits, especially with mom. We did not try to test the limits with dad because we would not be here right now <laughs> if we did. Um, but we weren't always the best with mom. And so we, we wouldn't always, like, if somebody had said, obey your parents, we'd be like, okay, we'll do that with dad, but <laughs> not with mom. Um, and my mom is a saint, for putting up with us, and all three of us, my dad, my brother, me, we would all say that. I know they're watching as they're driving home from Florida, so, <laughs> like, I don't know, if that camera's on, you're a saint, mother. <laughs> Children, obey your parents. Paul gives four reasons for this. The first is that we're followers of Jesus. Paul says to obey your parents in the Lord, and that means that because you are in the Lord, you should obey your parents. In the book of Colossians, Paul includes a similar command. He says in Colossians 3.20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord when children obey their parents. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to scare you into obeying your parents, like all of the kids that I see here, all the teenagers. You know, I'm not trying to like, scare you into it, like God's watching you all the time, so you should behave, obey your parents. I know we're getting to that time of year where we use that thing a lot. You know, it's like... Santa's always watching. But you really think about that. That's terrifying. But, you know, you better be good. No, I'm not trying to threaten you. Although God does already know, you know, he knows you, and uh, he's always with you. But as followers of Christ, we should choose to obey our parents because it pleases the Lord. Not because you're scared of it, but because you want to do it. Now, the second reason Paul gives is that obedience is right. It is the right thing. It's, that means that it's proper. It's what's proper for a Christian child to do. For kids here, you should know, your parents, are they're trying to do the best they can to raise you. They, they really are. There's not a how-to manual on how to raise kids, at least from what I've asked of people. I, I don't have kids, but you know, at least from asking others that do, they're like, we're just trying to do our best. You know, I've talked to parents who have multiple kids, and they've they said that they try and raise them as best they could, you know, as equally as they could, but each kid kind of reacts differently to, to those rules or whatever. And again, I look at my brother's three kids, and they are, they are very different from each other. And they're all growing into amazing young adults and, and young people, but... When they were younger, their differences were really pronounced. And I'll just compare the two brothers, you know, Peyton and Brady. Peyton, uh, there's two years difference between the two. Peyton's a sophomore in college, and Brady's a senior in high school. And when they were younger, they both played sports. And that was one of Peyton's loves. Like, he, he absolutely 
loved sports. He, he'd be locked in anytime he played, even when he was super little, like he would be locked in and try and be the best that he could. Brady, on the other hand, when he was little, not as locked in. I went to a t-ball game, which t-ball is dumb on its own, but um, <laughs> I'm a baseball person, so like throw it at him. Um, but you know, you hit the ball and then you get to run around all the bases and never get out or something. It's like, it's, doesn't make any sense. But Brady would hit the ball and then he'd run his run down to the base and then he'd be far more interested in what was underneath the base than what was going on in the field. Like he would get down, he'd pull it up, be like, yeah. I'm like, what is he doing? He'd go to second base, he'd do the same thing. He went to third, he'd do the same thing. He ran home, he did the same thing at home. And I'm like, what is wrong with your son? (laughs) Anyway, all I'm trying to say is, kids are different. (laughs) Kids are very different. And I know you parents are trying the best that you can. Um, And you can help, you kids can help them by listening and obeying. It pleases God, it's the right thing to do. The third reason, maybe probably the most important one, it's a command from God to do this. Paul quotes from the Ten Commandments, citing the fifth one, where he says, honor your father and mother. So it's more than just obeying them, showing them respect and love, caring for them as long as you need, as long as they need. This is kind of what moves us from talking to the younger kids here, but talking to the older ones too. Because we're all children of somebody. And as our parents age, they're going to need us more and more and and need more help with that. And I know some of you have had to do that, taking care of your folks as they age. I always joke that when my mom and dad get too old and they need somebody to help them, I'm going to ship them down to Florida to my brother's house. (laughs) Because that seems like a better place to retire. But if I'm honest, and since they're not here, I'll be honest, although I know they're watching because mom texted me. Um, (laughs) But I'd do whatever they needed. I absolutely would do whatever they needed. If if I needed to move in with them again, I would do that. (laughs) I just moved out, so why not move back in? (laughs) Plus, God's already kind of trained me for this because we uh, lived with my grand, both my grandfathers as they were ailing in health in their last few years. Uh, we lived with them, and, and so I've seen what it takes. I've seen what you need to do, and I would do that. And so when that day comes, and unfortunately it always does, you know, I hope to honor my father and mother as best I can. It's a command from God. It's his will that you would honor your father and mother. But there is a blessing attached to that. That's the first command with the promise of what Paul says. He says, that's the fourth reason that we obey our parents, because obedience brings blessing. But what is the blessing? So it will go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Warren Wearsby, when he writes about this verse, he says, this doesn't mean that everyone who died young dishonored their parents. Paul's stating a principle. When children obey their parents in the Lord, they're going to escape a great deal of sin and danger, and thus avoid the things that could threaten or shorten their lives. But life is not measured only by quantity of time. It's also measured by quality of experience. God enriches the life of the obedient child, no matter how long he may live on the earth. Sin always robs us. Obedience always enriches us. So children, obey your parents. It will go well for you if you do. But then Paul moves to talk 
to the parents. Really, he's talking to the fathers. He says in verse 4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So fathers, don't exasperate your children. Exasperate means to irritate or frustrate someone intensely. And now contextually in ancient times, we've got to remember, uh, fathers had absolute control over their families. And they could be harsh toward their kids. Paul's command here, he's, he's commanding fathers not to exasperate them. Exasperate, the Greek verb, has a meaning of provoking children to anger. The noun form of the word is used back in Ephesians 4.26, where Paul is instructing his readers not to sin in their anger. But as the alternative, Paul says to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So fathers, your main role is to disciple your families. It's got to be your main role. You've got a role to provide, a role to protect, but there's more to it than that. You've also got to nurture them in the Lord, in the training and instruction of the Lord. A lot of times in churches, you might hear something like, as a father goes, so goes his family. And and I think that that can be pretty true. If you make it a priority to focus on God and all the things surrounding that, like prayer, scripture, church, then, then that is an unbelievable witness for your family. And I know it was for me when I was coming back to my faith. It still is for me to see my dad's faith. And so, dads, I implore you, take your faith seriously. Make it a priority in your life. And bring your kids up in the training and instruction of the Lord. All right, we've got one more section to get through. This one's a little bit tricky because we're going to be talking about slaves and their masters. A couple things we need to think about when we first start talking about slavery in ancient times. First, slavery is not the same thing as what we think about slavery is in the United States or was in the United States. It, it was prevalent, yes, but it was not uh, race-based. In the Greco-Roman world, the world in which Ephesus is in, there was a system which slaves could own property, they could earn money, and they could buy their freedom. And that obviously wasn't the case, really, in the United States slavery. Um, it wasn't race-based. It was really more like conquered people a lot of times. They would be put in slavery or people who owed other people money. Now, our hope is that Paul would come in and and tell the masters, you know, free all the slaves and everybody will be free. That's not what we see here. And that doesn't mean that Paul is advocating for slavery. It doesn't mean that Paul thinks slavery is good. It just means that he's not really focused on the man-made institutions. He's focused on the gospel. Paul's focused on changing the hearts of people because then that can change and have a profound impact on the institution. Christianity has never been great when we're in power, but we're really good as a grassroots movement, working from the inside out. And that starts in here, starts in people's hearts. So Paul's not really trying to change the institution, but what does he tell slaves here? Ephesians 6, verse 5, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So he's kind of telling them to change their focus a bit. Stop acting as if they're slaves or they're serving their earthly masters, but instead that they're serving Christ. 
serving wholeheartedly, doing the will of God. Because he says that you know that you are going to have a reward someday, but that reward may not be here on earth, but in heaven where it will be for eternity, where we will be with the Lord for eternity. And that reward, it's not going to look on your social status. It's not going to matter anymore. For them, whether they are slave or free, it will not matter anymore. But it is who they are as followers of Jesus and what they do stemming from that, that they'll receive their reward. Now, Paul concludes this section by talking to the masters. He says in verse 9, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know he that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. There is no favoritism with him. He says, treat your slaves in the same way. Well, it's the same way. It's with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart as to Christ. As Snodgrass writes, that alone should have abolished slavery for Christians. Moreover, just as slaves had to give up slacking off, masters had to give up threatening, which, neither, which fits neither service to Christ nor the life of humility and gentleness that is called for in chapter 4. Snodgrass concludes saying this ethic moves beyond the golden rule, that is, treating others as we want to be treated. It instructs us to treat others as we would treat our Lord. And Christ shows no favoritism. He is the true master of both the slaves and the masters in heaven. A lot of this letter, we've read passages, and it's like Paul is still preaching to us today. In a lot of ways, it's kind of amazing how much things haven't changed over 2,000 years. How much we still need to hear these instructions for marriage and for kids and parents. You could even take the principles, even though you know, you're not slaves at your job, but you could take the principles of that and apply it to your jobs, apply it to your work. And we need to remember these things. We need to know that God has a plan for all of them. It all goes back to that verse, verse 21, that we looked at. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If we do that, if we do that with everybody, if we make that our anchor for how we're going to treat others, then it's going to be okay. Because we're going to be following the Lord's command, really, to love one another. In our families, in our jobs, in the public square. Next week, we're going to finish our study on the letter to the Ephesians. We're going to read the rest of chapter 6 and talk about being strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we so thank you for this word that Paul wrote 2,000 years ago that still is very much applicable to us today. We thank you that you have a plan for our relationships, that you have a plan for for our marriages, our, our parenting, and our kids. And we're we're so thankful that that even though sometimes we might bristle at what we read, we we know that you've done it for what's best for us. And Lord, the family is a lot like the church. 
where you have called husbands to love their wives like Jesus loved the church, his bride. He died for her. You call wives to submit to their husbands like you've called the church to submit to the lordship of Christ. And so, Lord, we we know that a lot of times it seems to family, the nuclear family is under attack by the enemy. And so I just want to pray for our families here at Maple Grove. I just want to pray that you would protect them. Protect them from outside attacks. Protect them from the enemy. Protect them from spiritual attacks. Keep them in your hand, Lord. We know that you won't let go. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that that he is our model for a lot of this. But we thank you mostly that, that he showed that sacrificial love on that day on Calvary when he went to the cross and died for us. We come to the point in our service where we remember that sacrifice as we come around the table for communion. And we just thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.